You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Right, you can either accept that I'll be shirtless for this episode or not have me on camera. Who's doing the intro? We're all wondering which woman will last longer in their new role, Liz Truss or Leo DiCaprio's new girlfriend. Wait. In a week where it's been reported that a pint of beer may reach £20, a player being sent off for having a wee was the good news that we all needed. I'm Andy Baxter and this is Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast. With me tonight, of course, it's Daz Napton and Tom Meadowcroft. Hello. Good. Trust, trusty evening to you. Oh, God. Yeah. Should we talk about football? I uh, probably should. So um, I mentioned in the intro briefly a story that we've all heard by now that the, the player in the FA Cup first qualifying round that got sent off for having a wee behind his goal. And so it made me wonder what some of the more interesting sendings off has been. Daz, do you have a favourite sending off comes to mind? Yeah, my favourite sort of well-known one was from a few years ago in the... Um... In the London derby between Arsenal and Chelsea, I can't remember if you remember it, Kieran Gibbs got sent off. He was basically mistaken with another player. And Eve, yeah, basically what happened, Oxlade Chamberlain stopped the ball from going in with his hand. Obviously, that's an instant red. And uh, the ref just sent Gibbs off by mistake, even though Oxlade Chamberlain was going, ref, it was me. Yeah, it was nothing to do with him. Um, Nice. Nice. Tom? Um, Lidoshenko, uh, Man of Farm manager, got sent off at Odd Down um, one year. This is when they were still in the Western League. And it wasn't so much the manner of the sending off. It's just that, you know, when a ref like has to... Sorry, when a manager gets sent off, they so say have to like leave the... I don't know whether it's the stadium or like the sort of dugout area, but with Western League grounds, um, non-league grounds, 
there's really not that much distance. So he was literally just, he took like one step back into the crowd and continued bellowing instructions. <laughs> it was very funny. And there was another one, I think it was Pool Town. There, our manager got sent off and he basically just retired to one of the nearby houses and watched from the roof. Nice. Uh, that's that just given good. me a great idea. If ever you're a manager and you get sent off at Blackpool's ground, you could just hire out one of those hotel rooms that looks out onto the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say go up the Blackpool Tower and watch from up there. I'm not sure what direction it faces, but it, it might be a decent suggestion. Have you got one to top those and backs? I found one from 2005, which unfortunately, and it's very sort of fitting for this episode that we're doing today. Um, it starts off strongly and then gets progressively worse as, as you go through it. Um, so the headline and the first sentence is, ref sends himself off. <laughs> a football referee was forced to abandon a game after showing himself the red card. And then oh. it goes, yeah, I know. It, it goes on a, a bit. And basically it was because the goalie was unhappy that a goal had stood against him because there, he said there was a foul in the build-up. And then the referee sort of, upon hearing all this abuse and protests, start, you know, shouting at him and argues back. And um, to quote the article from the BBC website itself, the ref hurled down his whistle, untucked his shirt and marched up to eyeball the player before realising the error of his ways. So basically, uh. he's, he's got close to this guy and his arse is completely gone, hasn't it? <laughs> He had, like, he had a uh, rush of blood to the head and then like remembered that as a referee, he loves nothing more than rules and went, <laughs> oh, no, that's not okay. Yeah. Need to get myself a booking here. Essentially, yeah. And then, you know, then it gets a bit sad because it talks about a few off-the-field problems he's been having in saying he should never have done that game and all yeah. this. But, you know, the fun bit is he, he, he wanted to fight a player, so that's always fun. Excellent. That's good. Well, good. yeah. We're here for some more in the mix and we're carrying on with our effort to find the moment that football peaked. I think in and amongst all the madness, the craziness, the thunder strikes, the Droitwich brine, the penries, all the weird and wonderful things we've come across, it's sometimes you just got to take a step back and remember what we're here for. We're trying to find out when football peaked and we're almost at 1950. So we've almost covered half of football, but not half the book. <laughs> and you may remember I left us on a cliffhanger at the end of the last episode, which was for you guys to try and guess what football's most amazing experiment was. Now, I can't actually remember what either of you said, but you were both miles off. And the great thing about this story is it's clearly one of Wardy's favourites from his book, because on the back cover, he even mentions it. Oh, wow, okay. So Yeah, I think you did say before we uh, gathered tonight, no spoilers, but it's a particularly boring one. <laughs> now, that, that, don't worry, that's the second story. That's the, that's the uh, big finale so, for the pod. It's a Pete, behi Pete behind the scenes for you there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it did make me think I've never actually read the back cover the thing that would inspire you to buy the, the book now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch this to you guys by reading the back and you let me know at the end if you think it's worth 1995 Canadian dollars 
<laughs> Extraordinary but true stories from over a century of football. And then there's a picture of a trophy. Probably one that he won for this book, I imagine. Not the Wardy Vayers. Stuff for districts, wartime, Division 3 Cup or something, that one. Yeah, that was it. And then it goes on to say, fouls, free kicks and frenzied fans. It's all to play for with these hair-raising tales of extraordinary matches. I don't think my hair is raised once during this, but carry on. Game lasts for a full four days. Dot, dot, dot. When will it end? (laughs) When indeed. (laughs) Strikers take on the police on the pitch. And then this is the, the, the spoiler to the one we're about to read. Match winners decided by a hypnotist. Okay, I like the sound of that. Looking forward to that one. And then, in case you were just about to put it back, you weren't sure, dive inside for your fill of keepy-uppies, corner kicks, and ridiculous referees. Hmm. Have you ever needed a fill of corner kicks? Corner kicks? I don't know. Yeah. It's like he's kind of gone for, I can't remember the word for it, where something isn't necessarily alliterative, but it sounds like it is. Because he's gone corners and then keepy uppies, which kind of sounds the same noise. And then the last one was penalties. No, no. referees. Referees, that's it. I knew I remember it didn't rhyme. <laughs> anyway, yeah. get on with it. Go on. Taking too much time already. <laughs> okay. The Hinkley Hypnotist. And we go to April 1949 in Hinkley. And I'm sure you've both heard lots of long-running football jokes. I'm going to ask from the off, have you heard this one? There is a long-running football joke about a hypnotist who is called into a team's dressing room to improve ailing performances. More absolute nonsense from Andrew Ward. (laughs) Not the catchiest, is it? You know, I heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> the the writings of a madman. I'll make sure to play this recording to my next um, at my next Sunday league dressing room. Well, they'll have all heard it, obviously. So that's the point. That's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's pointless. So what, what's going on then? The hypnotist hasn't time to work on all the players, so he singles out the jaded star striker. You there, you look jaded. (laughs) He puts his subject into a trance and tells him he has the sharpness of Gary Lineker, the strength of Maradona, and the deadliness of Ian Rush. Now, by the way, this is 1949. None of these people are alive yet. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder he's just presenting something that he's made up in his own head as fact. It's the date. You can't argue with the date. <laughs> but I don't get it because then he's putting brackets. Or for those of you who are old enough to remember, Dennis Law, Jeff Hurst, and Jimmy Greaves. So he's kind of like fact-checked himself. Okay, so he's 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 um he did it in modern parlance for the the Neanderthals that will be reading this book, such as ourselves. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> The hypnotist snaps his fingers and tells the striker to change and go out to play the game of his life. 
The player replies verbatim, not bloody likely. Also, I think I'm a chicken. <laughs> yeah, and going back to the original thing where he's like, the hypnotist didn't have time to work on all the players. Why didn't he just come in before the match? <laughs> yeah, go in earlier. There's no reason. <laughs> wanders in at half time. Like, yeah. hypnotism has a powerful image, but does it work? We're about to find out. Towards the end of the 1948-49 season, Hinkley Athletic, who were sliding towards the bottom of the Birmingham Combination League, set up a publicity stunt which went a little wrong, mainly because the Hinkley directors blew hot and cold about the involvement of a hypnotist. It wasn't clear whether they were in favour or not. Huh. I, I don't really get what's going on Like, here. Like many sentences in this book, that raises more questions than it gives answers. <laughs> Yeah, but don't worry, we do get some clarity here. The advertisement in the Hinkley Times was clear enough about the event scheduled for the Hinkley Working Men's Club Hall on Tuesday the 12th of April. Richard Payne will conduct an amazing experiment with members of the Hinkley Athletic Team. Don't miss it. So there was basically this guy's in town, and I think while he was in town, they thought, well, if he's any good, we may as well get him to sort the footy team out. I think is, is the sort of mm. gist, gist of it. The travelling traveling hypnotists just go from provincial town to provincial town, sorting out problems. <laughs> well, he was billed as Britain's greatest hypnotist at the time, and he apparently was taking an evening off from his billing at Leicester to do a special performance in aid of an improvement scheme for Hinkley Athletic's middle field lane ground. Do you actually have like um, bookings? Because I was kind of imagining him stood on street corners, like, you know, madam, you look like someone that needs an hypnotist. Look a bit jaded. <laughs> you look a bit jaded, love. Looking like your through balls could, could, could use a bit more work. I can fix that for you. Go <laughs> on. <laughs> it was also expected that Payne would contribute to an improvement scheme for events on the pitch. Coming up in a week's time was a game against the leaders of the Birmingham combination, local rivals, Bedeff Town. So now we're talking. 300 fans turned up at the Working Men's Club Hall to see Richard Payne. More. <laughs> to see Richard Payne put six Hinkley Athletic players to sleep. I don't see how this is going to help. <laughs> no, not like unless it's immediately before or during a game. Are they just, I don't, I mean, as a skeptic at the best of times, I don't understand why doing it in the flipping local man's club. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Obviously, nowhere because it's this book, but you know, <laughs> local man's club. Local man's, <laughs> yeah. Now, the inspirational commands of pain were you will win, you will win. It was mesmerizing stuff. Mm. The left hand was so carried away that he kicked a hat a distance of 50 yards along the length of the hall. Why? (laughs) 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 But the scheme was not over and there was a second stage. Richard Payne planned to visit the Hinkley dressing room on Easter Tuesday. Easter Tuesday? Easter Tuesday? Is that a thing? I feel like we've been done out of a bank holiday. Yeah, that's a shame. However, the directors weren't convinced a hypnotist was needed. 
<laughs> they were thinking in terms of a new goalkeeper or a new player oh. manager. Hypnotist, it's cheaper. Payne failed to complete his project. Oh. Although readers of the Hinckley Times were implored to visit Middlefield Lane on Easter Tuesday to assess the results of football's most amazing experiment, Richard Payne did not actually appear in the dressing room. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? <laughs> Why, like, when, when, whenever you read this book to me, Baz, I always feel like I've just passed out for five seconds because, like, it just feels like there's gaps and I've just like missed something. Like, why is the man kicking a hat across a, a room? <laughs> I don't know. What is Easter Tuesday? He's yeah. taken all. He's he's got them to write a check for all his, his services and then not turned up to to the second part of it. <laughs> well. Either way, Bedef won 2-1 and clinched the Birmingham Combination Championship. <laughs> Good. Inkley, in fact, lost all three of their Easter games and continued the downward trend. At the end of the season, they parted company with player coach Bobby Davidson. There is no record of whether any hypnotists applied for the vacant post. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, well. I mean, you know, if you're sort of on a downward run anyway you try things don't you and maybe this is sort of his way of trying to boost morale or doing something a little bit outside the box maybe it was like a pioneer of his time but maybe not i can't remember what club this was but i'm sure that there was a premier league club that hired an exorcist because they thought they had like a gypsy curse on their ground i want to say norwich i feel like norwich is a kind of place where people believe that kind of thing I mean, apologies to our listeners in Norwich, I suppose. When they when podcasts they don't have the internet. Them, yeah, exactly. When podcasts reach them, they'll be annoyed. Yeah, I think it was wasn't it, didn't it happen in Peterborough? And it was that big fat guy that went on to be their chairman as well. Okay, so it was Birmingham City, and it was, to be fair, 1906. We've had three guesses at this. No, I'm sure it was. What was his name? He was a real company geezer guy. I'm sure he had to go and have a wee in the corner of the ground or something. Hang on. Here you go. During his spell as Birmingham City manager, Barry Fry famously urinated on the pitch to break a gypsy curse on the club. On the club. We sort of all got there between us, didn't we? Yeah. I didn't know that you could break curses by peeing. It's also the second mention of having a wee at a football game. Mm. Well, there you go. Well, it all comes full circle. I suppose I've got to ask the question. Was it peak football? Just a bit silly, really, wasn't it? Enjoyable. I enjoyed that there was a hypnotist. I enjoyed that enough people must have gone, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's try it. <laughs> that they actually went with it. I'm kicking a hat. What do you <laughs> think I'm doing? What are you doing? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going from silly now to something that is quite serious. We're into the 50s now. It's October. It's 1950. We're on the south coast, Southampton. And this one, which is an original Wardy title, is The Invisible Game. Ooh. Mm. What do you think would make a game invisible? Um, if oh. everyone wore green. And yeah, played like, like on their backs. The invisible game then. When Southampton pioneered a floodlit exhibition match against neighbours Bournemouth, about 10,000 people took advantage of the offer of free admission, but they only just got their money's worth. It was a mysterious game that nobody could see properly. What is it about Southampton and problems at seeing? Because it was them that played Man United, wasn't it? I know we've talked about this fairly recently on the on the show. Yeah, they just can't get it right, can they? The idea emerged from Southampton's summer tour of Brazil. I didn't realise teams were going on tour to Brazil in 1950. Yeah. Yeah. Bohemians 1905, my favourite Czech club, went on a tour to Australia like really early days. And that's why like they're called the Kangaroos. Because they went on tour to Australia and the Australians were just like, oh, it's nice to have you guys. Um, Here's a present. And it was a fucking live kangaroo. And they were just like, um, okay. <laughs> we have no frame of reference for this. And it's quite um quite aggressive. And it just it ended up in Prague Zoo in the end, but ended up like running for office or something. <laughs> it's a very impractical gift, really, isn't it? What sort of dog is this? <laughs> it would have been better if he went in goal. Could have gone against the goal kicking elephant. Yeah. Imagine a kangaroo would be not a bad animal to use as a footballer. I reckon it'd be I good think at volleys. A good goalkeeper. Mm. Win the ball with its with its jumping ability. Yeah, oh yeah, you just hoof the ball along to him. I don't know if mm. you've ever googled like particularly buff kangaroos, but there are a lot. It's, of them. it's very scary. Yeah, they're one of the most scary animals. I think underrated scary. <laughs> so anyway, Southampton were in Brazil. They played several games under artificial light, which of course was something that had been going on over there for a bit. Southampton Supports Club, on hearing the good reports, invested £600 for a firm called B.A. Corrie to install 16 1,500-watt arc lamps. In case you were wondering what lamps they use. I bet you were. Everyone was was pleasantly surprised that electricity running costs would be as low as... Six or seven shillings. Uh, I don't know what that is. No, means nothing. It's probably less than you pay now to flick your kettle on. The big a question coach was... Piccadilly cast two schmeckles. The big question was whether spectators would like it. Here was the big test. So basically, this is the first ever match where they're properly trying out floodlights. Oh, let's see. Approaching kickoff. 
of 6.30 p.m., the crowd began to gather and exchange wisecracks. Now, there's three wisecracks here, which I'm assuming are just warty ones, but if I'm being honest, I don't really get them, so I'm going <laughs> to... Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna just gonna read them and then if you could give me a bit of insight as to why I don't get what these wisecracks mean, I'd much appreciate it. The first one is bring on the shadow teams. No, that doesn't make any sense because surely they will have played varying points of the year and so have had experience of seeing shadows on the pitch. <laughs> or were they just like oh! <laughs> Look, Reginald, demons! <laughs> and then the second one says, Come on, Wraith Rovers, with Wraith spelt W-R-A-I-T-H. Well, yeah, that is literally a demon, isn't it? So was I close? Did they think that there were, like, ghosts chasing them? Do you know what? <laughs> that's, that's not a bad pun, that on Wraith, is it? But it's, it's very laboured to get there. It's not a wisecrack you'd use at a football match when you're out with your mates having a beer. To be honest, like when I was a kid um, and you watch football and when they've got really strong floodlights and there's like a shadow going in four directions, that did kind of freak me out. I didn't get how that worked. Obviously, kids are really stupid. So, yeah, no. Four really big light sources in each corner is quite easily explained. And then the third wisecrack. Wardy Wisecrack. Wardy Wisecrack. Pile on the pressure with pylon being spelt P-Y-L-O-N. Oh! Delightful. No, I can't think of anything. I'm trying to work light into something. I've got nothing. Uh, um, lamp. Good. No, carry on. <laughs> Frank Lampard. <laughs> The spectators <laughs> had to rely on their own entertainment, much like us in this podcast. Although the lights worked well, visibility was destroyed by a familiar British problem. And now we get a Woody weather warning. And it is fog. Fog, mankind's oldest foe. <laughs> that evening, the whole set. <laughs> That, oh, that evening, the whole country was enveloped in a thick mist. At London Airport, a BAA Viking airline crashed, killing all 31 people aboard. Oh, dear. <laughs> He's got a way of, like, um, throwing in really horrible stuff, uh, like, <laughs> without giving it any kind of, what do you call it? Any build-up or anything? Dignity what? or, yeah. And that's why we're okay to make fun of Andrew Ward, even though he's recently deceased. Mm. R.I.P. R.I.P. At, at Southampton's ground, the Dell, the fog wasn't too much of a handicap for the players who could see the ball reasonably clearly, except when it was kicked high in the air. But the referee couldn't see a handball in front of him, and the spectators were literally in the dark. And here's a good fact for you. But what are you coming think? up? At times, visibility slumped to 2.7 to 3.7 metres. Why oh, use me- That's meter? incredibly specific. It is. After using shillings in the earlier in the story, now he's got using... Oh, stick to your, your units of measurements. 
Who's he asked to get this information with these wisecracks and these measurements? Who's getting their trundle wheel out and checking how far it is? I'm not sure, but the team's played for an hour, changing straight around without a half-time interval. For the spectators, it was an eerie experience. In the damp night air, the Bournemouth players wearing all white were a team of apparitions, basically ghosts. From the stand, for all the crowd knew, the players could have been ghosts of the days when footballers wore moustaches and shin pads outside of socks. I've never worn my moustache inside of my sock. (laughs) Oh, you simply must try it. There was a rumour that Southampton came close to scoring. Ken Bird pushed Eric Day <laughs> shot onto the goalpost and the consensus was that the game finished without a goal. This was confirmed <laughs> later by the players. It was a rumour. <laughs> I say, Giles, I haven't seen anything for the last 40 minutes. Have you any idea what's going on? Well, word is from a fellow up on the North Stand. There were efforts to introduce floodlight football to this country before the war, but never anything so simple and economical as the installation at the Dow, wrote Clifford Webb in the Daily Herald. Another observer, if that is the right term for this fog-shrouded night, was Walter Winterbottom, the England manager, which is my favourite England manager name. And then what he said was, this match has proved that even on a foggy night, Amateur players who cannot train in the daytime can get onto a pitch and have real matches. Big statement from the manager. I like it. The chairman, Penn Barrow, pointed out that the cost of floodlights was far less than the cost of buying players. Don't know why. You're only picking one or the other. There you go. If they could produce one player from floodlight training, it would have paid them. Like an electrician. Man, maybe that's what they're getting at. There was an FA Cup match, was it last season, where the floodlights failed and one of the players was an electrician and went and sorted it out. Oh, yeah. So, can't remember who that was now. I've got, feeling... yeah. Yeah. I've got a feeling it was Marine, actually. Funny was it? I, think it, I think it was. So, literally brutal. <laughs> <laughs> this game, mysterious though it was to spectators, symbolised a new wave in the floodlighting movement. By the mid-1950s, lights were being used for games as well as for training. In all seriousness, I know we take the person stuff, but that was obviously a big development because it meant winter training in the evening times and, you know, yeah. that's towards the game that we have now. It's like I said in one of the earlier episodes, I think, like, having professional or, what you know, full-time groundspeople is actually one of the biggest innovations in all of football history because it used to be absolute carnage. Rightly so. Yeah. Well, bring back the carnage. Yeah. We like a bit of carnage. You know, ask if that was peak football, and normally I very boredly say, no, that was crap. And you did say this is a boring story. However, I really, really enjoy the idea of people following the game via rumour. <laughs> That's very funny to me. Hearsay and whispers. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Fair enough. It's probably not a, a zero out of ten then. Probably creeps up to like a two or a three. Yeah. It's not as good as um our reigning champion is Walter Minty from St. Albans, isn't it? Mm. Wilf. Wilf the Delf. That's it. 
Yeah. I, I don't know if that's going to be beaten, but none of us at the time claimed it to be peak football. I'm not, I'm not throwing it in right now, just to be clear. I just enjoyed the rumours part. Yeah, 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 fine. You know, when you sort of stop and think of the recent stories we've had, it, the game is starting to take more of a shape now, even just the little things like when we heard about the offsides being developed and I imagine we'll get, we'll get onto things like substitutes and stuff, but it mm. is slowly starting to get there. I mean, floodlights I didn't even consider would be in this book, but I suppose, of course, the first time you went to a game that was brightly lit, like the middle of the day, yeah, it would have been crazy. Off. Something to tell, tell your mates about. And of course, when it got to like the 70s and everyone was breaking their record attendances, the floodlights became part of the structure for people to stand and sit on. Mm. So, when no one gave a fuck about, about their personal safety. Let's move on to the quiz. Because you two have been fairly poor at these quizzes so far, I've decided to call this one substandard. And what's going to happen is I'm going to give you a list of five England footballers who spent most of their career on the bench. And you have to put them in order of how many goals they scored. Okay. For England or in their career? For England. For England. Yeah. This could be all right. Baxter, you're up first. I'm going to read five players out. And then what you need to do is you need to put them in order from least amount of goals to most amount of goals. Okay. So your five players are Darren Bent. Can I write this down? No. Yeah, because you can. <laughs> Baxter, I'm going to need you to get your shit together. Jermaine Defoe. Mm-hmm. Danny Welbeck. Ooh. David Nugent. Okay. And Emil Heskey. And this is just England goals? Yeah. Everyone has scored at least one. And what will happen is you get a point for everyone you get in the right place. Okay. I wouldn't say Emil Heskey was a bench warmer. He inexplicably played quite a lot for England. At the start and the end, he had that middle bit where he was starting quite a few. I see. We'll put it this way, he's got the most caps on either list, actually. So you've got one, you can ask how many caps one of them got to try and give you a bit of a hand. Okay. How many caps did Darren Bent get? 13. Okay. I would have thought there was more than that. I'd have gone higher, but that's not the game. Okay, so we, do you want lowest first or highest first? Lowest first. David Nugent. I understand you're going to tell me at the end, so that's fine. Second lowest, Darren Bent. Oh. Welbeck, Heskey, Defoe. Defoe scored more goals than Heskey. I know it's higher than Pop. Have I fundamentally misunderstood the game? Sorry, carry on. <laughs> So, your lowest was David Nugent. I can tell you that he had one cap for England and scored one goal. Hmm. Didn't he steal that goal off somebody else in this list? Jermaine Defoe, yeah. Hmm. Wanker. That's, <laughs> literally, that's Nugent, not Defoe, by the way. It was literally <laughs> going over the line, wasn't it? He just slid in and, and grabbed it. I mean, to be fair, if it was your debut for England... And you saw the ball head into the empty net and you could get there. I'm sure you'd do the same. Poor Jermaine Defoe. So next up on the list, 
you had Darren Bent. He had 13 caps, as we've already said. Within that 13 caps, you managed four goals. And I can tell you, you got that one in the correct place as well. So you got the bottom two right. So that's two points for Bex. You then said Welbeck. Welbeck managed 42 caps. So you got quite a lot of game time, actually. Wow, yes. Yeah, in quite a short spell that it seemed. It didn't seem like he was around for that long. He managed 16 goals. So that's quite a big rise from Darren Bent okay. over in four. And I can tell you that with 16 goals, he more than doubled Heskey's total. Heskey had 62 caps and managed seven goals. Oh. So, well, you know, he helped out in other ways. Yes, yeah, he scored against Germany, didn't he? That in that five-one. That he yeah. did. Unfortunately, you got Welbeck and Heskey the wrong way round, which means you get no points there. But you did get Defoe top, and he mm. got an almighty twenty goals from fifty-seven appearances. Not too bad. Danny Welbeck scored a like really memorable back heel in a qualifier of some sort. I always remember that. Nice. nice. So yeah, three points to beat Tom. Feeling confident? Uh, no. The Carol. Good. Good. Right. Here are your five players then. And in fact, you've got the current one. We've got Marcus Rashford. Okay. Darius Vassell. I don't know who that is. <laughs> We've got one that you should definitely know. Ricky Lambert. Okay. Peter Crouch. Hmm. And the fifth one, I was going to say last but not least, but that'd be giving it away. We've got Daniel Sturridge. Oh, tough that. I thought okay. my was tough, but this is just as tough. Least goals first. Yeah. I'm going to say Darius Vassal because I, I just don't know who he is. Okay, so you're going for Vassal with the least. Uh, second least, Ricky Lambert. He's got a back Lambert. Then Daniel Sturridge. Mm-hmm. Then Marcus Rashford and most goals, Peter Crouch. I could be horribly wrong. I think I'd, I'd have gone generally that, with one obvious exception. Yeah. Are you can tell me that Darius Vassell scored like 10 goals. Yeah. Darius Vassell is actually the fake name of Wayne Rooney. Are you joking? I will kill you. He's a very different man. Bottom of the pile, you've put Vassell. Vassell managed six goals in 22 caps. Who is he? I've never heard of this person. He was a Villa legend. and then He moved. He was one of the first players to move to City when they got all the money. Just to I don't in, watch the bit. Premier League. Did he? Yeah. yeah. No memory of that at all. Didn't, uh, the thing I remember about Vassell, and I'm just... Just looking it up now to see when exactly it was. He only retired like fairly recently. I think he just didn't have a club for years and then just didn't oh, retire because he was just waiting to be a uh, see if anyone wanted him and then he eventually just did. And, uh, oh, yeah. Um, Vassell remained without a club until his retirement in January 2016. That's quite, that's quite sad, isn't it? Just go play non league. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? So, anyway, you've gone Vassell bottom. I can tell you as I'm just well that's not right for a start yeah I know I know that I know that Lambert's got less than that Lambert had 11 caps and got three so yeah. half he's half of a cell unfortunately in goal scoring terms but don't worry that's only the first two 
you then went for Sturridge. So it was very, very close between Vassell and Sturridge. So you've done well to get that one right. Mm. Sturridge got eight goals in 26. So there's a point there to be had for Tom. Now the top two, we've got Rashford and we've got Crouch. Rashford has more caps than Crouch. I'm sure Crouch has more goals. Rashford has got 46 caps. Peter Crouch has got 42 caps. Within Rashford's time, he's managed 12 goals. But Crouch has absolutely smashed that with 22. And he's the highest on the list. Ultimately, probably one of England's best ever substandard strikers, I would say. I still blame him for that Euros that we didn't qualify for because he tried some ridiculous like bicycle kick. Regular shot would have been fine. Podcast but merchant. He'd be one of them, eh? It, it means you've both scored three out of five. Tiebreaker. Ooh, there is a tiebreaker. Yeah. Oh, which, it does. Um, you thought of everything. So what we've got now is the tiebreaker. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you both the same three players And you've got to do the same thing again. You've got to put them in the right order. But then you've also got to write down number of goals. So it will be based first first on if you can get the right order. And then second, if you guess the right amount of goals. Oh, my God. Andy Carroll, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and Alan Smith, the more recent one, not the former Arsenal one. Alan Smith. When did Alan Smith play? He was the guy who, you remember, Tom, we watched play for Notts County against Rovers. Oh, uh, yeah. Champions League semi-finalist. Yeah, he said he... I, oh, God, I don't bloody know. This is a complete guess, but all right, go on. Hang on, hang on. What's worth more? Getting them in the right order or getting the amount of goals? Well, we're doing the right order first, and if you both get the right order, we then go to sudden death. Both the goals. This could end up indecisive. You do realise that, but that's okay. Let's go for it. Okay, so Baxter, who did you have with the least goals? Calvert Lewin. Tom. Oh boy, Alan Smith. Well, we've definitely got a winner then. Calvert Lewin has got four goals in eleven caps. I got that right as well. I said six. Alan Smith. Played 19 caps, so a substantial amount more. But did he get more goals? Um, if it's less than four, you've won. Oh, right. I said three. Well, you don't need to worry about that. You said he was the lowest. And yeah. he scored in 19 caps. He scored just one goal. So Tom's the winner. I'm very confused, but I'm glad to have won. Fair enough. Well done. Did Andy Car- has Andy Carroll scored eight England goals? Let me tell you, and you can tell me if you got it right. Alan Smith, 19 caps, one goal. No, I Cal- said three. Calvert-Lewin, 11 caps, four goals. Mm. And then Andy Carroll, only nine caps and two goals. Well, that was silly of me, wasn't it? Yeah. I thought he had, would have had way more than that. Yeah, they were proper flops then, what? I mean, a bit harsh on Calvert Lewin because he's still playing and he has got like one in three, but he's doing more of his fashion stuff now, isn't he? Yeah, he's very injured at the moment the last couple of years. Mentally. (laughs) That signals Tom is the winner of the quiz. I am the wiener. Picking up his first point of the campaign. 
Yeah. I haven't actually been keeping score, but none of it matters. Hey, you know what? I Don't worry about it. Daz, before we move on to the joke at the end, I did. I don't know if you noticed that someone pointed out that I'd used a joke that I'd already used before. Some Six. nerd. Can't believe it. But, you know, it's always nice to hear from people. And um, if anyone listening has any other clarifications or corrections or just wants to get in touch to say hello, then they can Fuck do. Fuck off. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. Keep them to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> then they can get in touch with us at the usual address, which is pintoffootball2015 at gmail.com. We're also there on Twitter and Fastenbocker. Yes. I say, I say, I say, Darren and Andrew. A burger walks into a bar. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food here. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.